I, uh, I made a pretty bold statement on this very stage a couple years ago, and some people disagreed with me, and they were obviously wrong, um, because there's something that, that I believe with such conviction that I would, I would like, I'd fight for this one, and that is that the 1980s classic song, Danger Zone, is one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, ever, in the history of the world. I don't know if you guys are familiar. How many of you have heard Danger Zone? Okay, anyone not hear that song? Never? You're about to. Uh, here we go. 1980s, it was like the, basically the theme song to the classic movie Top Gun, and it's, it's a classic for a variety of reasons. Kenny Loggins, dude, is the, he's the soundtrack king of the 80s. Footloose, Kenny Loggins. Top Gun, like in the 80s, if they were going to make a movie, they wanted a theme song, they're like, who should we go to? Kenny Loggins. Um, just awesome, right? And, and I, love, I love the fact that the song wastes no time in just getting there. Some songs have this buildup, and you're kind of like, ah, come on. Not Danger Zone. No, 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 no. It is like a jet taking off an aircraft carrier. It's like, let's just do this, okay? For example, if you've never heard it, this is the beginning of Danger Zone. that song. It is a uh, security question on one, I won't tell you which one for any of you identity thieves out there, but if you're trying to steal my identity and the question of what is your favorite song comes up, Danger Zone, but certain parts are capitalized and I'm not going to tell you which ones. So you'll never get it. You'll never get it. I love that song. I love it. Um, it's one of those songs, by the way, that like I will sing even though I really don't know the words. You have those songs where you don't really know the words, but you sing it as if you do with the same level of confidence. Like, if I hear that song, I start singing right away in my car. I'm like, heaven is amazing, dissing, buzzing, buzzing, boom, 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 you know? But then when, like, the chorus kicks in, it's like, I can't sing. But if you were driving in a car next to me and you turned, you'd be like, wow, that guy is really in. Because I'm just like, how? I'm like, all the way. I'm 100% I'm there. My kids are like, shut up, Dad. I'm like, no, no, no. This is a danger zone. I don't shut up. You sing along. That's what needs to happen. It's a classic. I love danger zone. I have a lot of nostalgia for that song, I think, because when I was a kid, and, and some of you in the room, you're going to be a very specific segment of our demographic in America. You're like me. You're in your late 30s, and your parents had TNT on basic cable. And so you saw the movie Top Gun 35 times. Like, at least. Anybody else like that? You just watched that movie on repeat? Yeah, I watched that movie all the time as a kid, and I loved it. It made me want to join the military because it looked like just a blast. You play volleyball with your friends. Uh, you have tons of downtime. You can date your instructors, apparently. And, uh, you know, and, like, one guy dies. I won't spoil it. One guy dies, but it's an accident. It was a total mouth. It shouldn't have happened. That's, that's what it's like to be in the military. And then I saw Saving Private Ryan. And I was like... Very, way less volleyball, way less, much different experience. I, uh, I, I loved Top Gun as a kid. They're actually making a sequel to it, which is totally unnecessary, and I feel very confident that it will, it will only tarnish what is already great. No one watched Top Gun and said, man, I wonder what happens to Maverick later in life. No one has ever asked that question, uh, but apparently we need a sequel to it. But whatever, I loved that movie. It made me want to be a fighter pilot for a brief season of my life. I just thought, what a cool job flying a jet. Turns out, if you want to be a fighter pilot, it's really hard. It, like, it's, not, it's not one of those things like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be like 
a doctor. I want to be, you know, a, a vet or whatever. Being a fighter pilot is, is even harder than those things. Like, believe it or not, it's, it's one of the hardest things you could ever do because there's, there's so many things that disqualify you. You're the wrong height, sorry, can't be a fighter pilot. If you're colorblind, anyone colorblind in the room? Anyone at all? Wow, we have 8.5% of the United States population is colorblind, but they don't go here. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. One person raised their hand. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> like, if you're colorblind, forget it. Forget it. You have to be able to, to swim a mile while wearing a flight suit. I've never swam with a flight suit on. I also am pretty sure I've never swam a mile. So uh, I just imagine it'd be harder. That's, that's a difficult thing to do. Your vision. If you do not have 20-20 uncorrected vision, forget it. Like, you're just out. If you grew up your whole life, you're like, I watched Top Gun 150 times, and I want to be Maverick. And you don't have 20-20 uncorrected vision, they go, pick a different dream. You're just out. And it kind of makes sense, right? Like, if you're going to fly a jet that fast, okay vision, probably not enough. <laughs> like, I can see pretty well. That's not okay. You need to have... You need to have perfect vision. What's really interesting is in, in the modern military, your own vision, even if it's 2020, it's not enough. You, you need something to assist you, to help you see things you can't see. So, for example, there's a jet in our military, the F-35, and it cost $100 million, each one of them, $100 million. Like most sophisticated technology that has ever existed, way, way more than air conditioning and satellite radio inside of an F-35. The helmet... The helmet for an F-35, like the helmet that the pilot wears, $500,000 for a helmet. Now, for some perspective, last year as a church, we gave away half a million dollars to people in need. Big deal for us, more than we had ever done before, and like a huge number, especially when you look at our budget, it's a big deal. That's awesome. You guys did that. Those of you who give financially, you did that. In other words, we gave away one F-35 helmet. How exciting is that? We gave away a helmet. You might be asking, what in the world does a half-million-dollar helmet do? Number one, it protects your head. That's given, right? But it's a lot more than that. When, when a pilot's wearing that helmet, they're able to see things that they could never see on their own. For example, this is some video from what it actually looks like. It's really cool. So uh, it identifies friendly aircraft. It will also identify enemy aircraft. It can even tell you what country the, the aircraft is from. It has the ability for the pilot to toggle something that lets the pilot see through the plane. Like, can literally look anywhere, and the plane is no longer there. There's cameras all over F-35s, and they communicate with the helmet. And so the pilot can look and see completely unobstructed. The cockpit doesn't block their view at all. It can see heat signatures, see all these different things. When a pilot is wearing a helmet while flying an F-35, they have a vision that is far beyond their own. What we've been talking about for the last few weeks is, is really our necessity to see far beyond what we can normally see. Because the truth is, in life, I'm not talking about your physical side, I'm talking about your discernment, your wisdom, your ability to navigate life, make decisions. None of us has 20-20 vision. Not a single one of us. The wisest among us does not have 20-20 vision. That's why if you've ever found yourself saying, I never thought I'd be here. I never saw myself going through this. I never envisioned dealing with this. That's you admitting, I don't have 20-20 vision. Because I didn't see this coming. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. This is the message version. He says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. That's what it feels like to live a lot. We're trying really hard just to see straight. 
so we can navigate and make, make the right decision. In other words, we need help. But the good thing is we have a God who does see. We have a God who has perfect vision. He has absolutely perfect vision. And we have the ability, by following Jesus, we have the ability to let God's perspective, his vision, enhance our own. He will give us the ability to discern things, to recognize things that we can never see unassisted. We, just, we don't have it, but God does, and God is good, and he gives to us. He gives us perspective. He gives us vision. So we're talking about what would it look like for us to live this, this next decade that we just started? What would it look like for us to live our, our 20s, the, the 2020s, as weird as that sounds to say, with God's perspective? If his vision, not our own, Limited vision was what was allowing us to, to navigate life. That's what we're trying to discover. Last week we started talking about a word, a word we call revelation. We see this in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. It says, God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. What Paul's saying here is that, that God just decided, you know what? People, they're, they're just not going to be able to understand who I am with their own, their own wisdom. Our ability to observe and learn, it's not enough for us to discern the things of God. Maybe a little bit. Like, like we can recognize, man, there, there must be a God. We can recognize that, that God must be greater than us, bigger than us, all those kinds of things. But, but apart from God revealing himself to us, we would never know his name. It's one of the amazing things about Jesus is that he is God revealed to us in such a personal way. You know, I had a friend of mine that I was talking to years ago, and he, he had a really hard time with the idea that he needed to call God by a, a certain name. He's like, why can't, why can't we just acknowledge that he's there? Why can't we just say, I believe in a, a God? Isn't, shouldn't that be enough? And I was like, well, if God wanted to be distant from us, and if God did not want to have an actual relationship with us, maybe he would be content with us just going, hey, you thing, you universal cosmic whatever you are, can you imagine if, if you're in a deep relationship with someone? I've used this analogy before, but like I, I love my wife. She's awesome. She's great. If I walked up and was like, hey, you woman thing, like that would not go well for me. I've tried. It doesn't work. No, I'm just joking. Um, it wouldn't go well for me. Like she has a name, and, and, and I can call her by name. Jesus is God revealed to us. The simple truth is that we can never observe all there is to observe about God. We need God to reveal himself to us. We need God to reveal his truth to us. We need revelation. And thankfully, he's given that to us in a variety of ways. And so what we've been talking about starting last week was how can we experience the revelation of God in our lives? How can we live via his revelation, not our observation? And last week, we started something called the chapter challenge. One of the main aspects of God's revelation is his word. It's scripture. And we started this challenge for the year to read four chapters of Scripture a week. One chapter a day, four days a week. In other words, if you do that, you'll be, you'll be reading Scripture more often than not. It's not incredibly taxing. It just takes a few minutes, and we're posting on it on all of our social media, giving you a chance to respond. By the way, I've read some of your, your statements and comments, and, and some of you are doing this for the very first time. And there's some incredibly just insightful people here. And, and it's reminded me that when we just open up God's Word, knowing that we're not going to understand it all, some of us are coming into it just totally fresh, and saying, hey, God, teach me something. He's faithful. And so it's been really awesome watching and, and reading what you guys are saying in response to that. Keep that up. And if you, you haven't heard about that, go to our mobile app. 
If you have that, it's right on the homepage. Go to our website. It's on the homepage there as well. And just start with wherever we're at. Don't have to, you don't have to catch up. It's just one chapter a day, four days a week. We're going to do that together as a church this year. And how awesome is it going to be to see what God reveals to all of us together as we study his word? Today we're going to talk about another aspect of God's revelation. This is one that is, it's got to be one of my favorite things to talk about, in part because I fully, admittedly recognize every time I talk about this that I am woefully unequipped to talk about this. So every time I, I engage with this subject, I'm like, God help me, which is probably how it should be every Sunday anyway. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is one of the, it, I'd probably just say the, main tool, you might, you might say, of revelation in our lives. That God wants to reveal who he is and what he plans for us through his spirit. Now, when I say that, I recognize that there's some of you in the room that are like, oh no, this is one of those weird churches. Like, I get it. Like, we talk about things like the Holy Spirit, there's a certain, some of you are maybe here for the first time and you're like, dang it, I thought this was one of the normal places. Um, and we are normal, most days. But, uh, but here, here's the deal. I've I was listening to a pastor talk about this, um, not that long ago, but it really hit me. He was talking about electricity and how you don't have to understand the complexities and the mystery of electricity to be able to benefit from its power. I was thinking about my kids. I've got four kids, and my three-year-old, for example, Judah, I love, I love Judah so much. Judah does not understand electricity. He doesn't, but he uses it all the time. You know, he'll come into a room, he'll flip on the switch, and he benefits from the power of electricity. He doesn't understand it. It's a mystery to him. It might as well be magic. But I think we have to understand that, that there are certain things about God that are always going to be mysterious. And if we have a certain kind of faith, a certain kind of approach to God, I don't care if you've been following God for 20 years or you're just thinking about it. If you have an approach to God that says, I'm not okay with the mysterious, you're just going to miss out on most of God. Because he is mysterious. But, but don't, don't cut yourself off from the power of the mystery of God. Because God's mysterious wonder is, it's amazing. And he's real and he's powerful and he's supernatural. He's supernatural. And, and we're going to miss him if we, if we aren't comfortable with the idea of, of a supernatural God who speaks to his people. So the Holy Spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit is kind of a weird topic. Like you're telling me that, that there's like a spirit of God that like comes and lives inside of us and like messes with us and makes us into the, yep, that's exactly what scripture teaches. How does that work? I have no idea. Uh, so the message is done now. Let's go. Um, but here's the deal. I think that the, the better we understand this, the more familiar we are to the best of our ability with who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, and what we need to do in response to the Holy Spirit, the better equipped we're going to be to live this life that God has for us. The simple truth is we are supposed to be different, those of us who follow Jesus. And we're supposed to be different because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus makes us a promise in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, he's so practical about it. I love it. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit like someone trying to sell you a product that does a lot of different things. I mean, it's, it's really, he's, like, he's always saying stuff like, the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you, teach you, remind you of all the things that I've said. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need for certain situations. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to say when I get there. The Holy Spirit actually is promised to us as someone who will give us the words that we need in those situations. The Holy Spirit, it, literally, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as if he's listing off features. The Holy Spirit is promised to us by Jesus. 
And it's not just promised to us in the sense that it would be a good thing for us to have. Jesus lets us know that we absolutely 100% cannot live the life that he's called us to live without the Holy Spirit. In fact, really interestingly, Jesus tells his disciples to never leave the city that they're in. After he, he raises from the dead, he tells them, I want you to go to the whole world. Go to the whole world, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then he says, but do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. Don't even think for a second that you can do what I just asked you to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have it within you, but the Spirit will give you the power you need. I mean, he tells his disciples, don't think for a minute you can do this without the Holy Spirit. Wait. And they do, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power, and it's, it's what starts the, the movement of the church. It's powerful, and it's amazing. But Jesus lets us know that, no, the Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on. The Holy Spirit is a necessity. And I want to say this in, in understanding that there's a variety of us in the room from a variety of different backgrounds and places and, and even the status in terms of how you think about God where you're at. I would be a fraud as a pastor. If I really believe the teachings of Jesus and I really believe the scriptures, I would be a fraud if I tried to convince you that you can, you can live for God apart from the Holy Spirit. I would, I would, all I would be doing would be setting you up for frustration and failure. And I think there's actually many who have left the church for that very reason. I think there's many in, in America who have left the church because they were told to live a certain way and do this and do that, and they tried to do it in their own strength. They were challenged. They were chastised. They were looked down upon when they weren't able to do it, but no one ever told them about the power of God ready there waiting to help them do anything that God would have us do. And so all that breeds is religion, and religion is just you trying really, really hard to do stuff to make God happy. That doesn't work. Jesus came to abolish religion and give us a relationship, give us his spirit. But if I stood here and I tried to convince you that, hey, you should do this, you know, do this because it's what God says to do, but I didn't tell you that the Holy Spirit was going to equip you and empower you to do it, I would be a fraud. And I would literally be setting you up for failure. So it's, it's, ne it's necessary. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, it's necessary. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just, we're trying hard. And I'm sure a lot of us have lived trying really hard, and trying hard is not enough. We need help. And the Holy Spirit's our helper. So what I want to do is answer three really simple questions. Well, hold on. Three very complicated questions, as simply as possible. And this is going to be, we're going to cover a lot of ground in a lot of ways. Today's kind of like an overview of the Holy Spirit, but it's important for us to have a working knowledge of, of the Spirit's work in our lives if we're going to do this, okay? If we're going to live with God's perspective and His vision. So number one is who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, what does the Holy Spirit do? Number three is what is our part? What do we do in response? Okay, number one, who's the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is God. And that gets confusing because when we say God in church in English, most of the time God for us is shorthand for God the Father. We just kind of cut off the Father part most of the time. And so last week, for example, I, I was reading from John chapter 17, and Jesus prays to, to God. And I had said earlier that Jesus is God. And so you have Jesus, who's God, praying, God. And a person, an awesome person at our church who's been part of this place for a long time, loved this guy, he came up to me afterwards and said, who is Jesus talking to? If he's God, how is he praying to God? Is he talking to himself? That's what the person asked. And I said, yes, sort of, but also no, but kind of yes, and he was like, sweet, now I know all I need to know, and that helps, that cleared everything up for me. That's what he said. No, not at all. He kind of looked at me, and I was like, all right, here's the deal. Um, let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. First chapter of the Bible. God said, let us 
make human beings in our image to be like us. Notice that it's all plural. Well, who's God talking to there? Let us make human beings in our image to be like, like us. The, the basic doctrine of our faith is that God is three persons, one God. Not three different gods, three persons, one God. God the Father, and usually in church when we say God, mostly people are referring to God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That is why when we baptize someone, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God, but all three are distinct. Simple, you know. And I used to joke that the day that shampoo, conditioner, and body wash in one became a thing, that would be our analogy. That'd be like, here it is. In fact, I remember being in college, and I was in a class, and someone brought this up. And at the time, shampoo plus conditioner was like a new thing, right? I'm dating myself a little bit. Young people, there was a time when you had to have three different bottles. I never used three bottles. Megan, when she married me, was appalled to find out that I just, whatever was there, I just it's probably going to work everywhere. And uh, she's like, really? I was like, it's all soap, you know. Turns out women are way, uh, way more into hygiene than men, and that was not enough. So all of a sudden, I've got this system, and I'm going to use this stuff. But shampoo, conditioner, body wash in one? I said in college, I'm like, one day they're going to make that. It's only a matter of time until someone figures out how to get that body wash in there, and there's the trinity. There it is, right there. One thing that's three things, but one thing. We're good. But... <laughs> But in actuality, the thing that, that reflects that the most is us. It's us. Because we are made in God's image. So, show of hands. How many of you within the last week have talked to yourself? Okay? Bunch of crazy people in the room, right? <laughs> How many of you have, have, have argued with yourself? Anybody? Now, you have to have some humility and self-awareness for this one. How many of you have lied to yourself recently? <laughs> I'm like, I swear, this, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to do it, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at the gym every day and I'm doing it. This year is different, right? Well, it's interesting that you talk to yourself. Go back to my friend's question. When Jesus prayed, was he praying to himself? See, you have a body and your body is you. You also have a, a mind, you have an intellect, and that is you as well. You need both of them to really be you. If one goes, the other goes with it. You also have a spirit, and your spirit is you. Now, if I was talking to someone who said, I don't believe in the whole spirit stuff, okay, well, then you have a body, you have an intellect, and you have emotions. And they're all you, and they're kind of indiscernible in the fact that they're all you, and they, they kind of collide together to make you who you are, but at the same time, they're distinct because sometimes you'll actually have conversations, even arguments between them. Like, if, if you're like me, when your alarm goes off in the morning, your body is going, stay in bed. It's awesome in here. It's awesome. It's comfortable. You know, it's soft, it's warm, there's a beautiful woman lying next to you, and, you know, if you rolled over to kiss her right now, she'd push you away and say, what are you doing, Go, you know, like that, because, you know, in the morning, bad breath, that kind of thing, and, uh, but it's awesome, stay here, why would you leave here? But my mind is like, you got to get up, you got things to do, you got to get up, you got to, you know, if you stay here too long, you're going to be late, and I have this little argument with myself every single morning. There have been times where my spirit has known the right thing to do, and my mind is like, that's going to be hard. That's, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just don't. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to go through that. But my spirit knows it's what the Lord wants to do. So the thing is, we're kind of like God, just a way more dysfunctional version of him. Because he's not fighting with himself, and he's not arguing with himself. He lives in harmony within himself, but he is three persons, one God. We are in many ways like that. So the important thing for us to understand is the Holy Spirit is, is God. 
And if we're not comfortable with experiencing the Holy Spirit, then we're going to miss God because he is the Holy Spirit. So who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's God. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit partners with us, partners with us to empower us to be the people we're, we're meant to be. There are certain things that the Holy Spirit produces in us. We see this in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Now, one of the challenges we have as, as individuals and collectively as the church is that's the stuff that's supposed to be growing in us. That, that's what we should be seeing develop in and of ourselves. Not in and of ourselves, but his spirit. We're in ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is if we're, we've been a believer for a long time, let's say you've been following Jesus for years, and you don't have any more love, you don't have any more joy, you don't have any more peace or, or any of those things, that becomes a problem. You're like, what's wrong? What, some, and there's a disconnect somewhere. That's what that means. If I'm not growing in those, those areas, and it's not like all of it at once, you know? It's not like every day, wow, I'm way more self-controlled than I was yesterday. But over time, if I can't see any discernible growth in those areas of my life, something's off. Because I promise you this, the Holy Spirit's doing his part. Something's off. And that becomes, I think, a big disconnect with the church as a whole. Because if the world looks at the church and doesn't see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, the world sees all, all that stuff is, is missing. It's like, well, and clearly it's, it's, it's fraud. And I'm sure some of us have been in situations before where we did look at the church and that's what we saw. was a lack of those things. But it's not supposed to be that way. The Holy Spirit produces this stuff in our lives. But here's where it gets interesting. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't just snap his fingers and make it happen. The Holy Spirit doesn't take you over and override you. The Holy Spirit partners with you. We have a lot of scripture on this. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says that his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're his children, right? So there's a partnership that's taken place. The Holy Spirit joins with our spirit when we confess our faith in Jesus. Once that happens, his spirit joins with us and begins a process. So there's a partnership that takes place. Romans 8.26 says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now that word helps, that, that word in the Greek language, which was the original language of this verse, it's used elsewhere in Scripture. It never means does it for you. Sometimes as a dad, there are things I do for my children. I don't even ask them to help me with it. I'm like, no, I'm, I'll do this. And then there's other things that I, I do with them. That word helps, it means with. So the Holy Spirit is going to produce in your life love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know if you guys want more of that stuff in your life, but it's kind of like the answer for everything. Okay? The Holy Spirit wants to produce those things. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Partners with you. Joins with you. Works with you. The Holy Spirit doesn't do it for you, doesn't override you. Actually, Scripture is a wonderful testament to that. The Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote Scripture. They're not just writing from their own perspectives. They're not just writing from their own knowledge. It's inspired. But each person who writes has a distinct voice. So, for example, if I read James in the New Testament, I don't know if you've ever read James. James, I'd, I'd love to hang out with James just for like a day. Because James is one of these guys, you can tell he's right to the point, very blunt, no-nonsense kind of guy, just says it, just like says it, not a lot of buildup, just boom, drops the bomb. Paul, very different. 
Paul likes to really set stuff up, and he's got all these complex thoughts, and he has sentences that are like paragraphs long. They're, they're very different people. They have very different voices, but the same Spirit inspired them to write what they wrote. And it's a wonderful testament to the fact that the Holy Spirit doesn't override us. It's not like Paul and James fell into a trance and started writing. We're like, this doesn't sound anything like me. Wow. The Holy Spirit used their voice, their personalities, to teach us. It's a partnership. The Holy Spirit wants to partner with you. Think about it like a dance. Is there anyone in the room who's a good dancer? You don't have, I'm not going to ask you to dance. Don't worry. Just anyone confident in your dancing abilities? A few, a few, wow, first service had one. So all the colorblind people go to the first service. All the dancers go here. Okay, so that's good to know. Good information. Um, the, uh, dancing is, is something I am not good at at all. Like at all. When I was in college, I signed up for ballroom dance. And Megan and I were engaged at the time, and I thought it would be this romantic thing. I was like, we're going to take ballroom dance together, and it's just going to be, it's going to be awesome. I was, so, I was really excited about it because I thought, wow, she's going to love it. She was super excited when I told her. And I pictured in my mind by, like, week two, I'm going to learn how to do that, like, romantic dip thing. You know, like you see in the movies, and then there's the dip, and then there's the kiss. I, was gonna, I wanted to dip and kiss. Turns out that is not what you learn in ballroom dance. You have to move your, your feet rhythmically. Um, to music, and I did not get that part. I was like, I don't know, and it was really hard because the guy is supposed to lead, and uh, really hard to lead when you don't know what you're doing. So ballroom dancing in our minds was going to be this lovely, fun-filled, romantic excursion where Megan and I are dancing together, and there's dipping, and there's kissing, and it's great, and what it ended up being was like anger management class right before we got married. (laughs) Because all, all ballroom dance class, for, and we, we were in the class, like we had a grade, we couldn't not take it anymore. We had to do this for four months, is it would be like, okay, salsa dancing, which requires movement of the hip, also something I don't really understand. Um, and so I would go like this, and Megan would go like, no. And I'd go, and she's like, no, that's not right. And like, I don't care, even if you're aware that you're doing it wrong, like five minutes of that, and you're done, you know? Like ev- every step I take, she's like, mm-mm, nope, mm, nope, this way. And I'm like, I'm supposed to lead. You're supposed to follow. She's like, well, it's hard to follow someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And we're fighting in the middle of, like, dance class. It was awful. (laughs) You know, to dance well, someone's got to lead and someone else has to follow. And what I, I, I want us to understand is that's a partnership. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. And Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Holy Spirit wants to, to lead you. But this brings us to the third question is, what do I do in response? I think this is really important. I actually think this is at the core of a lot of our struggles with, with growth. A lot, of, a lot of times when we feel like, why am I not growing? Why am I not experiencing this? Because if my life is marked by anxiety and fear and worry and stress and anger and resentment and hatred and, and confusion, all these none of that is from the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit not leading me appropriately? Is the Holy Spirit like Justin in a ballroom dance class? No. No, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. The issue is that I'm, I'm not following. And a lot of that's because I, I, like a lot of us, was never really taught to. I mean, very few of us grew up in an environment where we were taught how to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a difficult thing to do, but it's not impossible, mainly because the Spirit's the one doing the hard stuff. The Spirit's the one leading. So what do we do in response? Well, the answer is this. We, we let the Spirit lead. We learn how to live by the Spirit. That's a very specific phrase that I want to hang on for a second because it could just sound 
like Christianese, like just a church thing. Live by the Spirit. What does that mean? This is where it becomes really important for us to understand what the Bible actually teaches. Like all of us, to a certain degree, we've got to have like good theology. What I mean by that is we don't need to be experts in things. We don't all have to like write books and stuff like that. But it, like it should be simple. But we need to understand the gospel, the actual message of Jesus, and what it actually looks like and how it actually works so that we can live this. So what I want to do real quick, when, I want us to think about what it means to live by the Spirit. I want to read a few scriptures. And, and these are going to introduce a lot of concepts And we're going to break this down really simply as we wrap up, okay? So Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Okay, so we have this flesh-spirit dynamic. Romans 8, 5 through 14. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things. Now, that, that phrase, sinful nature, some translations will translate that flesh. It's the same, same word. It means the same thing. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. In other words, you're allowing your sinful nature to lead you in life. That has the driver's seat. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Jesus followers, I want you to to hear that again. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's Paul. There's a lot there, okay? Anytime we read Paul, I'm always like, I think of cheesecake. It's just dense. You know, it's spiritual cheesecake, like a lot. So I want us to break this down. Because this, guys, this actually is, in many ways, the gospel. The word gospel, it means good news. It's the message of Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's unlike anything that's ever been presented before, but a lot of times what happens is we have kind of an incomplete understanding of the gospel, oftentimes because an incomplete gospel has been preached to us. And so if we receive something that's incomplete, it's really hard for us to to live by it because it's not not sturdy, it's not strong. So I want to break this up in a really simple way, okay? And and guys, go ahead and put this up. A few different things we got to understand. Number one, we were all born. Does everyone agree with that? Anyone in the room was not born. Great, we're on the same page. All right, when you were born, you received a nature. There's just certain things about you that are the way they are naturally, right? And the Bible often calls our original nature flesh. Okay, so you're born, you have a nature of flesh, but we get born again. John chapter 3, Jesus says you must be born again. And when you're born again, you receive a new nature, a brand new nature. And the Bible often shorthands our new nature as spirit. And so we have this spirit versus flesh dynamic. John 3, 6, Jesus says, 
Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Therefore, you must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Behold, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's that new nature. And so we have spirit versus flesh. This is actually a much better uh, dynamic to understand how to live life than something like sin versus not sin. A lot of times we're making decisions and we're trying to figure out, is this right or wrong? And right or wrong, is, it's okay, but it's not the best. Because there are things that are technically not wrong that still might not be the best for me. And I have found that, that right, wrong, sin, not sin, good, bad, those, those pale in comparison to simply asking this question, is it spirit or is it flesh? Is this, is this thing that I'm doing, this decision that I'm making, am I, am I making this out of my, my flesh, which is often dominated by fear and worry and stress and anxiety and selfishness, or is this spirit? What we have to understand is every time we make a decision, we appeal to one of these, these births. Every single time. Every decision that I make, I am appealing in that decision to one of my natures. Now, what's interesting is that our world actually agrees with much of what is on the screen right now. So like the old nature. We're told in Scripture that apart from knowing Jesus, apart from being born again, we, we have no choice. We will, we will do what our, our broken, sinful nature says we should do. And that is why it is, is normally accepted in our culture today that someone just can't help the way they feel. We hear that all the time. I just can't help. It's the way I feel. I can't change the way I feel. That's someone saying, I am powerless against my nature. Just in different words. I, I feel this way. I feel so strongly about it. I can't change the way I feel. But when we get born again, we, we have a new person that begins to, to come alive in us. A new nature. And the more and more we lean into God, the more we grow, the more we say yes to God and submit to God, the more we live by his spirit and do what his spirit desires and grow in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, all those things. The more we do that, the more we let, let our spirit be in the driver's seat, the more we begin to look like Jesus and experience everything he's promised for us. But every single time we make a decision, we're appealing to one of those. And so if we get really good at asking this question, which nature am I appealing to? Which birth am I living out of? Is it the new or is it the old? Is it my spirit or is it my flesh? This, by the way, is when I'm, when I'm talking to a, a believer, someone I know has professed a faith in Jesus, and they, they use the phrase, well, you know, this is just the way I was born. I always ask the question, which birth are you talking about? Because I found that what we, yeah, what we do as people is we, we appeal way too often to that first one. Now look, you, you were born, like your flesh doesn't just go away. It's not like when you give your life to Jesus, like your personality changes, your IQ changes, you have abs, like it's awesome. Um, it's not like that happens, okay? Believe it or not, the pre-Jesus following version of me talked a lot. I bet you can't believe that, you know? Like, when I was in elementary school, I sat at a very special desk, and my teacher called it the island. And uh, I got put in the island in the first grade, and I kind of lived at the island. And I, I didn't mind. It was like, just I had to talk louder to talk to the people. I mean, Greta, you were my high school English teacher, you remember? Yeah, I, Greta has stories. She had to lock me in her closet one time. That's a whole different story for another day. Um, well, technically, technically, you put me in the closet, but it locked from the inside, and I shut the door. Um, but totally different story. Now, I'm her pastor. That's awesome. Um, I'm just teasing. I love you. So, like, I talked a lot. But, but all of my communication, it was all self-motivated. It was all like, hey, look at me. Give me attention. Ha, ha, ha. I, I was a class clown. I wanted to make people laugh. But it was just flesh. It was just flesh. And, that, look, that still happens. Sometimes on Sundays. Um, 
But as I've, as I've grown and, and learned, and, and a lot of this has come through being challenged by people who mentor me, by submitting to other people who are mature in their faith and listening to them, as I've grown, what's happened over time is my flesh begins to submit to my spirit. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I still, I'm a good talker. That's, that's like the only thing I've ever been really good at. But this, may, this is gonna, you guys aren't going to believe this. I've been in his, his hands for long. There's lots of times where I'm writing a message and I want to say something and I just don't because I discern in that moment, that's, that's just me. There's a lot of times where, and this is the hardest for me, where like I have something that would be hysterical. I like making people laugh. It's my favorite thing. I think humor is a wonderful communication tool and I'm like, that would just kill. And I'm like, no, that's just me wanting to be funny. That's not actually going to help communicate what God wants to say. So I just scrap it. The old me would never have done that. The old me was like, it's funny. That's all. That was the only criteria. Will it make people laugh? I'll say it. But as time goes on, you, your spirit begins to take control. Your flesh is still there, but it comes under the authority of your spirit. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is that if we would live that way, if we would learn as a church, as the church to live that way, to have the humility, guys, it requires humility, just to say every day, spirit, spirit, lead me lead me. I submit to you. When I make a decision, I'm, I'm making my decision based on my new nature. If I say the words, this is how I was born, which birth am I talking about? Because I don't have to live based on that first birth anymore. I can live from my second birth. I can live a redeemed life. It's not easy. I'm not perfect at it. No one is. But day by day, if I submit to the Spirit, that's the way that I get revelation. That's the way that I under that's the way that I even understand scripture when I read it and, and things jump off the page to me. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the way that I get his vision. That's the way that I get his perspective. That's how I stop living based on my visual impairment when it comes to life and I start experiencing the vision of God. It's the only way that I have a chance to see straight is to day by day live according to his spirit. And we're going to wrap up. We got a, a couple people about to get baptized. And that's awesome. But I want to say this and this is a you know, there's a mystery to God. There's a mystery. I said at the very beginning, it's mysterious. And sometimes we look at the Holy Spirit and it's just weird, you know? In fact, uh, there's a friend that Megan and I have, and this was really awesome. And I, I, I like to mess with people and that's not good sometimes, but, but uh, this, this friend of ours was talking about her son who started going to a, a, a church, a different church. Not, and this person doesn't go here and the church they were talking about wasn't here, totally different places. And it was so funny because she said, you know, I'm just concerned. And we we're like, why? You know, it's your kids in church. That's good. That's a good thing. She's like, yeah, but it's one of those um, Holy Spirit churches, you know? And like, I heard her clearly, but I was like, what was that? Like, I was like, she's like, Holy Spirit. She would not say Holy Spirit at regular volume. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? And, and I get it. I grew up in an environment that was very, it was weird. It was like, love God, but be cautious about, you know, you, I would read the Bible and I'd read stories of miracles and I'd read stories of people experiencing incredible things by the power of God, but I also grew up in an environment that said, yeah, probably not you. So don't, don't desire that. Don't hunger for that. And it made me very, very hesitant and fearful of experiencing the Holy Spirit because I didn't want to be one of the weird ones, you know? 
But I have a supernatural God who does supernatural things. Why in the world would I not want to experience his supernatural power in my life? Why in the world? That would be so foolish, you know? That'd be so foolish. That'd be like, that'd be like you going to, to lunch later, which is definitely going to happen, I promise. Um, and like ordering some amazing dish and then just like, I just want to smell it, you know? I just want to see it and I want to smell it. I don't want to taste it. Like you would never, you would never just experience two-thirds of a meal. Why would you experience two-thirds of God and settle for that? I, I can't sit here and, and tell you how it all works and explain it. And I'll be honest, a lot of it, it's mysterious. You know, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, which is what we're going to read, by the way, after we're done with, with Proverbs in the, the chapter challenge, almost every time someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit, they do this thing called speaking in tongues. That's weird. That's real weird. It is. I've done it. Super weird. But there came a point in my life where I just said, I'm tired of, of excuses and I'm tired of, of the fact that I don't understand it all, keeping me from experiencing it. I don't have to understand a mystery to experience its power. God, I want it. If you hunger for the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, if you, if maybe you've been following Jesus for a while even, but you're like, I've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm missing something. Then I just want to encourage you to ask God for it today. Right now, right here to say, I want to be filled with your spirit in a way that I never have before. I want to be empowered by your spirit in a way that I never have before. I'm tired of, of pushing you away. I'm tired of being hesitant. I'm tired of being on the outside looking in. I want your spirit active in my life. God, if there is one aspect of you that I have yet to encounter, I want it, and I want it right now. I, I, I'm not... I'm not saying that you will experience it right now, but I'm not saying that you won't. What I can say to you that it was not until I began to deeply hunger for more of God and begin praying that very prayer like, God, I want it right now. Give me all of you. I want more of you. It wasn't until that became a part of my day-to-day -day life that I did experience the power of God in my life. So I'm just saying, church, if you want it, ask for it. Because it's real and we cannot do this without the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this incredibly awesome, patient group of people. And Lord, um, I, I'm so grateful that you've given us what we need to follow you. I'm so grateful, Lord, that because of you, we don't have to live life on our own. We don't have to live in our own strength. We don't have to live based on our own vision, our own inability to see and navigate life. We can live life with your power. We can live life with your vision, but we have to do it. We can only do it through your spirit. You say that in your word. You actually say in your word that it's only through your spirit that we can discern the things of God. So we need your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would fill our church, every person in this church, with a deep hunger for your spirit. That we would live every day, that we would make decisions by your spirit, not by our flesh. That we would decide that we're going to appeal to that new birth, that new person, that spirit that's, that's alive inside of us. We're not just going to appeal to our old self anymore. We're going to live for you. We're going to live by your power. We're going to trust that you will give us what we need. It's not us trying harder, God. It's us, it's us surrendering more. And I pray that that begins in a powerful way today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.